Some of you know that years ago I spent 14 years of my ministry working with teenagers, middle school and high school students, and I served at a church in Spartanburg, South Carolina, where I dealt with a lot of teenagers in that church. It was a 3,000-member congregation, so as you can imagine, I had my own congregation of teenagers to care for. My last mission trip at that church was with my students in the Spartanburg Church, and um, it was in July of 2010, and I remember it like it was yesterday. We took our students to the Bahamas to suffer for the Lord there, and I know you're thinking to yourself, the Bahamas to, to suffer for Jesus? Um, but honestly, we were serving at a HIV AIDS camp, a dilapidated camp that was just outside the city of Nassau, where many folks go to vacation together. And while we were there, we were serving folks who were old and, and who really struggled to be able to care for themselves. And many of them had been abandoned by their families um, who didn't know how to care for them. And so they received a little bit of government assistance at this particular camp. And so we went with a, uh, an organization called Next Step Ministries who uh, was doing work in the area. And we joined with some other folks who were there, and particularly some plumbers who came to help establish some running water for them. They lived in these dilapidated duplexes. And so our job was to come in and to help renovate them, what we could while we were there. And the plumbers were there to help bring running water into the facilities there so that they could actually have running water. They were having to walk to one end of the camp to use the bathroom and to the other end of the camp to shower. So it was a pretty bad situation. We served there the entire week, and on our last full day there, we planned a fun trip to the beach in Nassau together. The students had worked really hard, and so we played together and we enjoyed the beautiful beach. And after changing, I decided that we would take them to dinner near this place called Atlantis, which, if you're familiar with the Bahamas, is sort of the huge resort that is located there. And so we had dinner together, and then the game plan was for me to take them to the aquarium inside of Atlantis for them to see this really cool thing. And so that's what we were doing with our evening. So one of the leaders and I had decided that we would walk ahead because we had not been in there, and we didn't know really where we were going, and I had a group of about 55 students and leaders. So in, rather than all of us wandering blindly into where we were going, I told them just to hang tight and that me and this other fellow would walk ahead of them, find the place, text them, and let them know how to come in, and then we would proceed. And so that's what we did. And as we gathered close to the aquarium, I was standing in this large atrium uh, area, and I noticed that uh, as I was standing there texting my uh, my leaders to let them know where to come, that there was this fellow who was kind of hunched over, and he was bald, and he was a very big guy who was texting on his phone. And I didn't notice him at first, but he had been there a while, and then I began to, to notice that he was extremely large, and I mean stocky large, built like a brick wall, and um, I thought, do I know this guy? And eventually he raised his head and my eyes met his eyes and it kept coming to me. I, I know this guy, I know this guy, who is this? Well, then lo and behold, I had this epiphany. It was Brian Erlacher, who was the middle linebacker for the Chicago Bears. And so I asked the guy who was with me, I said, is that not Brian Erlacher over there? And he looked up and he agreed. He was from Chicago and has season tickets to the Bears games. And he was like, yes, that's Brian Erlacher. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's really cool. I mean, what are the chances that I come to Atlantis and I run into a pro football player? So I'm standing there and I'm like, well, this is kind of awkward. I, 
I want to like introduce myself to him, but I don't really want to draw attention. So I went over to him and I just said, Mr. Erlacher. And he looked up and he stood up and he reached out his hand and shook mine. And he said, you can call me Brian. And he said, what is your name? I said, well, I'm Jeff. What are you doing here? Well, I'm here with the youth group and we've been doing mission work here this week, yada, 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 yada. I told him I was a big fan, which I have to tell you in church was a lie. That was really untrue. You see, I'm a Detroit Lions fan. And the Detroit Lions are in the same division with the Bears. And every time we play the Bears, I want the Lions to stomp the Bears. So I wasn't really a big Urlacher fan. Would have been if he'd have been on the Lions. But when you are standing next to a guy who's famous and who plays professional football and who could squash you with one punch, you say you're a big fan. And so we had small talk together and just chatted. And then our students sort of came around the corner And as they were coming around the corner, a lot of my high school boys, as you see in this picture right here, they knew exactly who I was talking to, and they got all excited, and they rushed over to him. And so I said, hey, do you mind getting a photo with my kids? And he's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. And so I took this picture with them, and then all of a sudden, all the girls got really excited. They had no clue who this guy was, but they just heard NFL, and it was, ah! And you got like 60 people standing around this guy, and I could tell that it was making him quite uneasy, which I felt really bad about, but he dashed out the door because we were kind of causing a scene right there in the middle of Atlantis. Of course, I told my students that I had totally planned this for them while we were there. Um, Have you ever experienced something like that before, where you've been in a place You were right next to somebody famous, but you didn't realize that they were who they were until later. Have you ever experienced that before? Have you ever experienced being in the presence of God and not realizing it until it was later before? As we continue our sermon series entitled The Images of Jesus today, our passage of Scripture from Luke shares a very similar account. Luke 24 tells us the resurrection story of Jesus, but unlike Matthew or John, Luke doesn't speak of Jesus appearing to the women at the tomb. Instead, he speaks of angels who appear to the women, and they tell them that Jesus is alive. And so they leave the tomb, and they go ahead to the eleven who are not there to let them know what has transpired. And Luke tells us this, The eleven, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. They didn't believe what they were saying. They thought they were hallucinating at the tomb. Surely Jesus wasn't alive. They'd witnessed him die on Good Friday, and there was no chance that he could be alive. But eventually Peter goes to the tomb to see what's going on, but he only finds the strips of linen that are left behind where Jesus is risen. He is bewildered at what has happened But he's not the only one, because you see, there are two others that happen to be with the 11 disciples of Jesus who believed that Jesus was going to redeem Israel, and they were devastated at what had transpired. And so that Easter Sunday morning, they left the 11, and they went to this place called Emmaus, which is about a seven-mile hike. As they were walking with one another, they were talking about everything that had transpired so rapidly with Jesus. 
They were still grieving his death, still wondering why things happened the way that they did, still wondering uh, what on earth was going on, this news that had come to these women who had told them that morning that Jesus was alive and that he wasn't at the tomb. They're trying to make sense of what's going on, and it's all too confusing and emotionally draining. Did somebody steal his body? Adding insult to injury, Did the women hallucinate when they were there at the tomb thinking that they saw angels and really didn't? Or were they really telling the truth? I believe these are the things that they were talking about on their way to Emmaus, trying to make sense of all that was going on, but honestly, none of it made sense to them. Luke says, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. Kind of an interesting situation, isn't it? The resurrected Jesus shows up unexpectedly and begins to walk with these disciples on their journey to Emmaus, and they have no idea that they are walking with him. And they think he's the most clueless visitor to Jerusalem. All the talk about what was going on at that time was about Jesus. What had happened to Jesus? How could this person not have any idea what they were talking about? They began to share everything with him about who Jesus was and what had happened to him. And even the women's news that had come to them that morning. But Jesus just walks with them and he lets them share openly. When they finish their story, Jesus then begins to help them see everything that had transpired. Everything that had transpired had happened according to the scriptures And he calls them foolish, which seems a bit harsh when we read the scriptures together, but I believe what Jesus is really trying to imply here is that they lack understanding. This stranger who doesn't know what's going on suddenly interprets their Bible, the Old Testament, the Torah, and the prophets. He begins to open their eyes for them to see that this was God's plan for the Messiah all along. And he gives them a crash course in Old Testament theology, which leaves them hungering for more. And I'm sure they talked for hours on that road. It was a seven-mile hike. And when they finally arrived there, Jesus began to walk on, but they urged him to stay with them, and so he did. Luke says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? It's just all so mysterious, isn't it? Jesus sits down to eat with them And he's the guest. He's the one who's been invited by them to eat with him. And this guest becomes the host of the meal. And he takes bread and he asks God's blessing over it. And he breaks it and he offers it to them. 
Kind of interesting. He's done that before. When he fed 5,000 people. And even at the Last Supper with his disciples. And in this moment of breaking the bread and giving it to them, Jesus opens their eyes to recognize who he is. And as soon as they recognize him, he suddenly disappears. They're awestruck that this entire time they had been with Jesus and didn't even know it. And their conversation confirms that their hearts were burning within them as he talked to them on the way there. It's St. Augustine who once said, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Their hearts had found rest in Jesus as he walked with them, and as he taught them, and as he had table fellowship with them. The grief and confusion that started their journey slowly burned away by the presence of this stranger who fed them with insight, opening their eyes to see what had transpired wasn't just a tragedy, but a fulfillment of God's plan. And their desire for him to stay led them to see that he was no stranger at all, but the living Lord Jesus, which affirmed his continued presence beyond death. Wow. Think about that. Jesus was dead to them. They had not witnessed the resurrected Lord. The women had not witnessed the resurrected Lord. The eleven had not witnessed the resurrected Lord. And here they are walking down a road with him all these hours. And they sit at a table and then Jesus makes himself known to them. As you can imagine, the next morning... They got up early and they hiked it back to Jerusalem seven more miles to let the other disciples know what had transpired. But I find this story, this road to Emmaus, is not just their story, it is also our story. We know what it's like to walk on the road to Emmaus. Because I believe that in this congregation, many of us have experienced tragedies. We've experienced heartache that's caused intense grief and confusion in our lives. We have often walked down the road of doubt and disbelief, wondering at times, is God really present with us? And we've had questions enter into our minds. If God is alive, then where is he? Why didn't he stop this from happening Can't the one who parted the Red Sea and the one who raised the dead to life not prevent this tragedy? Where is God? You know, and then come to think about it, I think we've also had people who have walked alongside of us on that road and in the midst of our struggles who didn't try to give us all of the answers and become theologians and residents who said, oh, this is why it happened, but simply listened to us. Simply listen to what we had to say in those moments. They're the ones who patiently held our hands and remained close to us during our grief. But just like these disciples, we've also experienced the heartwarming moments where we knew that God was right there beside of us. The moments when our eyes were opened and we could see Jesus face to face. The moments where his grace reaches out to us like living bread for us to consume. The moments when the scriptures that are read are crystal clear and the voice of God is directed right at us. You know those moments. 
those moments in which the hairs stand up on your arms and the adrenaline rushes throughout your body, affirming the truth that God is here. And these moments remind us in our struggles that God is real, that Jesus is truly alive, and that he is certainly Emmanuel, God with us. And this is what the prophet Isaiah proclaimed so long ago. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. John tells us in his gospel that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You see, these disciples thought that Jesus' death ended everything they had known or hoped for, but it didn't. In fact, Jesus walked with his disciples every single day as they traveled from village to village as a part of his ministry, talking about God and what it means to to follow God and what it means to truly live. This is what Jesus did for three years with these disciples, so it should be no surprise to us that the risen Jesus would show up on the road again and he would walk with his disciples again, reminding them that not even death can separate him from being present with them. And the truth is, is that Jesus does the same with us. I find that when we experience the mundane or even the moments when we question if God is present, the Emmaus Road reminds us that Jesus is already present whether we recognize him or not. Jesus can often surprise us, can he? Showing up when our fears get the best of us, when our hearts are broken into pieces, when we seek him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, or even when we aren't looking for him, Jesus can just show up. And sometimes I find that Jesus disguises himself as the beggar who needs something to eat, the stranger who needs a place to stay, the one who is sick and who needs care, the prisoner who needs a visit, or as the friend who walks right alongside of us. Other times, Jesus makes himself clearly known as the light of the world, shining in our darkness, or as the bread of life feeding our hungry souls, or as the good shepherd who leads us to green pastures and beside quiet waters and comforts us with his rod and his staff in the valley of the shadows. You see, while God is transcendent, he's far away from us, he's also imminent right in our face. While God is hidden and we can't see him in the world, he is also a God who reveals himself to us. Regardless of how Jesus chooses to show up, and regardless of whether we see him clearly or not, the truth of the gospel is that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He's not a God who abandons us. He's not a God who forsakes us in our greatest time of need. He's not a God that's too busy to listen or respond to our cries for help. No. He's a God who is always present with us. And Christ's resurrection reminds us that not even death can separate us from the love of Christ. But it's in Christ Jesus our Lord who is always present with us in the moment. So friends, no matter where you find yourselves along the road to Emmaus, 
whether you're struggling and trying to figure out what's going on in life or whether you're experiencing your heart burning with a holy fire of God's amazing love, know that the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who created you, the one who has redeemed you, the one who sustains you each and every single day is very present at all times, whether you recognize him or not. Jesus' last words at the end of Matthew's gospel were to his disciples right before he ascended into heaven. And he reminds his disciples then and he reminds his disciples even now. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Did you hear that? This is Jesus' promise to his disciples And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In essence, Jesus says, I am Emmanuel, God with you, God with us. This is the good news. This is the good news of the gospel, whether we recognize it or not, whether we're looking for him or not, that Jesus is with us us, no matter what. May we never forget it. Friends, may it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.